and welcome to the Crash Course Podcast. Uh, no news this week, we're going to go right into what we've been listening to, and I'll start it off. Um, this week I kind of went almost a nerdy route, i um, been mostly listening to um, MC Frontalot, Shave for the Dark Lord, Jonathan Colton's newest album. Almost uh, a nerdy route? Well, because then at the tail end I was <laughs> listening to Robbie Williams a lot. Ah, and okay. Robbie Williams wasn't particularly so nerdy. Balanced it all out. But I'm still kind of obsessed with Candy. Which makes me fear for the, the new album when it comes out in November, because when I get this obsessed with a single, I feel like the album will never live up to it, but we'll see. I do have to say, it was stuck in my head for most of the week. It's catchy. It really is. But um, but yeah, so that's pretty much what I've been listening to. Uh, um, I've been listening to MC Frontalot's um, third album, I think it was, um, with uh, Tongue Clucking Grammarian, which is uh, one of my favorite songs off that album, and I think slowly becoming one of my favorite songs by him. Period. Um, that was the one that we heard on the way to uh, Pete's birthday party on Saturday. Yes, that you really they all liked. know about that. I'm just Everyone. saying. <laughs> Our friend Pete had this birthday party on Saturday. There you go. There's the frame of reference you need. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty much what I've been listening to. Um, oh, I probably should have said this at the beginning. Also, Mary's sitting in with us this week. Um, she's really excited to review the new Ben Folds 5 album with us, so she's here. Uh, yes, I bent everyone's arm into it. Yes. On this guest week, she uh, listened with us rather than separately at work. Yes. Yes. All got to enjoy together. Indeed. It was quite enjoyable, actually. Quite. But more on that later. This week, (laughs) I've been listening to... uh, Who was I listening to? I was listening to, once again, a lot of classic rock. Yeah. Mostly because of last week's fiasco with Green Day. It was so bad, I just had to pretend it didn't happen. (laughs) So I was going back. I'm going to listen to the entire discography of my life, starting at the beginning... And stop right before Uno So lots came of nursery out. rhymes in the beginning. No, I never went nursery rhymes. Like my soundtrack nurs- to John Blythe. My nursery rhymes were like Aqualung and and American Pie. That explains a lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Aqualung's not really a nursery rhyme. No, that's th- that's why it explains a lot. Uh, that's <laughs> that's true. what they said. Okay. Um, no, I, I never was like the IEIO. It was it was who are you? Who who who? Shh. We don't have the rest of that. Mary, what have you been listening to? I have been listening to a lot of Lily and James. They're a wizard rock group comprised of Grace McLean and Jay Stoller. They're very good. You can check out their band camp at lilyandjames.bandcamp.com. I've also been listening to a writing playlist that I put together, which is supposed to inspire me to write more and feel comfortable in my mind. Which which contains Say Anything, Jimmy Wong, Grace Kendall. Particular songs are... Um, Icarus by Grace Kendall, This Is My Bliss, as well as It All Ends slash All Was Well by Jimmy Wong, Do Better by Say Anything, Let's Dance to Joy Division by The Wombats, and Jump Jump Rope and Blue Skies by Blue October. A hefty list. Uh, John is actually getting me thinking about my nursery rhymes. <laughs> I did actually go back to Men at Work. I grew up with Men at Work. Men at Work, like, right. Early, early, early stuff like oh, yeah. as of two years old i was rocking out to land down under land down under is a great song yeah. the great thing i love about men at work Although is... mostly the album cargo <laughs> album cargo is good i love that album. Uh, men at work are great because they kind of borderline that cheesy 80s music like they weren't that cheesy but their videos well they were distinct the enough because it was the first well-known australian band at yes. that time that actually made it big in the rest yeah. of the world um, overkill is still one of my favorite songs by them especially the acoustic yeah. version that was done for scrubs where the lead singer just guessed it in the intro to Scrubs. Scrubs just had a lot of really great songs. Scrubs is one of those shows that really wouldn't have survived without its soundtrack. Like, this soundtrack 
so well pulled those stories together. As John drifts off, tilting his head slightly into a dream. <laughs> or daydream. Yeah. I'll also throw in yes. Um, more yes for me. Yes, the album good. Fragile. Fragile's a good one. That is a good album by, by them. All right, well, um, now we're going to get to our uh, album of the week, our album review. Uh, this was a pick f- by Steve. Um, ben Folds 5's, L- Ben Folds 5, their latest, The Sound of the Life of the Mind. I think you had it right originally. Ben Folds 5's. It's a lot of S there. But no, no, it's Ben no. Folds 5. No, I mean, their album. Oh, Possessive. oh five. Yeah. Ben yeah. Folds 5. Probably. Yes. It just sounded it's, really yeah, weird. No. Yeah. It was one of the it's one of those things where you're saying it, you know it's right, but it just sounds so funny you want to correct but it. But no one could have uh, could have argued. <laughs> That's true. But uh but yeah. Someone would have. The album right. title is true. definitely a mouthful, the sound of the life of the mind. You're wrong. It's not that much of a mouthful. It's actually so quite all poetic. Together, altogether, Ben Folds Fives the Sound of the Life of the Mind. Yes. I kinda wish you just went with it. Yeah. Um, but, comma, like there should, there should be more. There should be a paragraph. It some, really, honestly, some semblance of punctuation in there for, somewhere. For uh, this album, is still not even justified by the length of what what you have to say because this was a solid album. Yeah, it started with such a relief after last week. Yes, yeah, it, this time. started with an incredibly complicated song, "Erase Me," which I found had great lyrics. It had a very uh, piano versus bass, which became a theme for uh, the album. It's it's not something that's actually too unusual for Ben Folds 5. As I understand, they, they, they play a lot of piano work. Uh, it had a very jam session feel, like a very discorded, let's try out... A very Yeah, very out there, very distinct discord, I, I put it down as. It, they, it was thought through, but it was thought through to be somewhat chaotic and it was great it was and, a great intro and it had these highs and lows where it would you know it would start real it started really powerful and then kind of mellowed out and then in the chorus jumped back up um and the discord was definitely there i think we all heard that but it was definitely yeah. a very strong intro track it was one of those things that kind of got you going like pulled you into the album i, I would curb the jam session a little bit because of the structure yeah. that it had i can understand it emulates to that it to definitely emulated a jam session but without that kind of like, Dave Matthews is known for the jam, jam sessions. That, 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 that ramble. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of rambles on, like, too long. This didn't have that. This definitely was concise enough that it felt jammy without... Well, it depends on what you're out. in the mood for. Ben uh, Folds is coming from much more pop side of things. Yes. So the fact that he even included a good dose of that is very impressive. Well, the great thing about the song is that it had so much tension to it. Because it wasn't just an intro for the sake of intro. there was It felt like there was something at stake... I mean, the lyrics were, erase me, but how can you erase a person that created that sound? That's a good point. Yeah, actually. that's very, very good description. That's, that's, that's deep. That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to blow everyone's mind. Yeah, right? let me go right. pick mine up. <laughs> it's going to take him a while, and he's got to find it. He's going to be a vegetable for the next five minutes. Just deal yeah. with it. But um, uh, to go back on something... Uh, the jam session thing, I, I, I wouldn't want to spend okay, too no, much no. time in this, only because there was so much inherent composition in this opening track, 
like just their vocal work, the work with their harmonies and everything, the let chorusing. Me, let me, let gorgeous. Let me, let me, let me. It, the jam session that I was trying to that I was trying to put out is is like they kept trying to do something different. They kept changing up the actual way they were playing the instruments. It wasn't the same melody over and over again. They were really experimenting with the different instruments and making them interact. That sort of jam session. That's what I meant by it. Okay, but that I, I just see that as movements, sort of. That's how I interpreted it. Well, there's multiple ways to do movement. I feel you they did it use in the your more legs or your classical process. I thought John was going to start dancing right after. You yeah, said I really that. did too. And it went into the next track, uh, Michael Prater, Five Years Later, which was a much more easygoing, which was actually a pretty good follow-up. It, 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 it was an album. Uh, an album. It was a song with a very wholesome. I said a wholesome 1960s sort of poppy feel to it it was really nice it felt like this was piano rock at its peak yeah, yeah. there was a lot of Elton John influence in this song it was this kind of happy-go-lucky sound like you bob your head to um, it was definitely you know it, it could have almost been like a buddy comedy intro song yeah, let's just talk influences here for a minute uh, P- I mean Elton John Billy Joel this is what I hear oh, I yeah. hear a lot of British rock yeah. in, in his influences it's just it's written everywhere that, well, in everything he does. Uh, Billy Joel is not British rock. Billy Joel oh, true. Was Billy born John. and raised in Long Island. True, but then well, again, no, I bet him talk... too actually oh, probably yeah. borrowed a lot. Oh, yeah, if we're sure. going to talk British rock, I actually did hear some uh, Lennon-styled piano work as yes. well. Oh, yes. absolutely. Big very time. much so. Yes. Um, which, that's that's very compliments. That That's big. I mean, we're talking, these guys are emulating some of the greatest musicians of all time. Mm-hmm. So, we're, we're off to a good start here. And to have something where uh, track two, five, we'll call it. No, he could keep oh. going. I was waiting for him to finish his thought. Because no, I Michael Prater. I got gotcha. a very. Uh, I likened it, it to something that I, I'd hear from like abandoned pools. And who oh was, yes, who was the other guy you mentioned, uh, Matt? You uh, like it was that night. 19, oh, uh, late Beach Boys. It almost had like I mentioned that there was like kind of a Beach Boysy sound too. Yeah, it had that 1960s Beach Boys with like a 1990s abandoned pool, almost poppy kind of hybrid. It was really, really nice. Yeah, it was really, really solid. A very an endearing track. Yes, I just wanted to speak to the storytelling of the track because I called it a caricature through sound. Because Michael Prater, five years later, while I was listening, I actually looked up who Michael Prater was. Because I don't know who anyone is. I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) You say any famous name to me, I'm like, I'm sorry, who? So I was only able to find a cinematographer named Michael Prater. So I didn't really learn that much. But I felt like this song was kind of a character through sound, a story meant for someone to relate to about someone. Do you remember the time frame at all that he did his work? Because I, I I heard the 1972 in the song. Yeah, when I looked him up, he was in the late 2000s, so I was like, I don't think so this is right. Could so. be a total fictional character. It's, it's possible. That's all we know for now. And then, you know what? I, I, you know what? The, that, that, that setup of a kind of character. Erase Me was discorded. A great intro, uh, setting sort of a theme to the album, which actually was explained in its simplicity in uh, Michael Prater. And then Sky High, I felt, was like the exposition for this album. It was a balancing of drums and piano work yeah. together that really set up yeah. a, a story. Yeah, I put down a new beginning, something has changed. Yeah, it, it was, it, Sky High was great. It, 
it like uh, I can say that about so many songs on this album. It, there was just greatness in the beginning yeah. of this album. Sky High was beautifully produced. It just had a wonderful piano track. It was one of those. It was definitely the first two songs had started to pull me in, but Sky High is when I really got hooked because it was just so well produced. It really like hooked me into Very this album. Very ethereal too. Yes, yeah. just all up in the clouds there. Well, that's where nice I'm going. little soundscaping intro. I loved that. Yeah, that's where I'm going. It's like an exposition. This was when the album really hit its stride. Um, okay, I'll I, I'll buy that. I, I don't want to completely dismiss uh, the first two tracks, though. I still think they set it up very well. But, yeah, if, but I think they if were you consider perhaps maybe it. a climax of the exposition, yes. I would I would agree with that. That's prob- Yeah, that's that's a better way of putting it. And then track four, the sound of the life of the mind. The title track. This was my favorite track. This had beautiful lyrics. Blended instrument, extremely complicated. Yet you can pick out the piano work. You the, can pick this out was the my bass. favorite track until later. <laughs> but, yeah. um, this, this song had like a cityscape feel to me, like just the yeah, the, the, the different sounds I and the lyrics. The it, you felt much. like the hustle and bustle of New York City in this song, especially describing the sounds of the life of the mind. I found a sense of mania. Like there was kind of like a frantic. Yeah, like feeling. a lot going on and yeah. all this stuff. Like, as if you were panning a cityscape. Yeah, I definitely felt Yeah, I, I dug that. It was very drawn into the world. Mm-hmm. Created. And on being frank, the next line. Uh, this had this had great strings. They started introducing that in their tracks now. Yeah. Uh, this was a... It felt like a song about self-discovery. It had a very classic feel yeah. of building up to something greater. I had said it was like the middle of a movie and the main character's having a lamenting, thoughtful song about... What's transpired so far, and things have kind of gone wrong, and now he's kind of looking to himself. You know, I pictured very much a scene, the scene from the newer Muppet movie where uh, Jason Segel's character is singing by himself, walking down the street in the rain, kind of a thing. So, you know, that's that's kind of what I imagine. And I have to say, we're going through these tracks a little bit too quickly because these yeah, tracks, a lot to say. these tracks are actually flowing very well. But here's where I started losing uh, this album a little bit. I, I felt like uh, there was a little bit too much of a formula involved with these tracks. I did pick up a slight repetition as of on being frank. Yeah, they they were starting to become a little bit too samey. A li- they were starting to rely on older formulas where you have chorus, melody, chorus, melody, breakdown. Well, I mean, so, I was starting this, to get uh, that a little bit. Some of this also, I think, is dependent upon your knowledge of Ben Fold's past work. Because by, comparatively speaking, there is so much maturity going on here. I mean, he's experimenting with a lot more things. I, you could say it's, it's, it's less repetitive than his earlier work. And I, that's not to impugn his earlier work. I love his earlier work. But still, I could see how people would be a little bit, you know, it's, it's pre-anorak, I guess, at its core. But we've, we've said in the past, also, repetition doesn't mean bad. No, it doesn't so always mean bad. saying I, I that was, his older stuff was repetitive is also a sign of the times. I mean... Brick was big. His, one of his first big singles was the 90s. And 90s. For, even for the 90s, yeah, it was very progressive. I retract that. Repetitive is not the word for it. it, it uh, formulaic. Guess, yeah, yeah, formulaic. Yeah, exactly. Piano yeah. rock can, can run together. And I was well. starting to get that a little bit in these songs. There was a formula. They were adhering to it. They were... Erase Me did divert from any sort of formula. That was a very distinct track in its way. But there was a little bit, a little bit of a... I could almost guess when the breakdown was going to be. I could guess when the chorus was going to come back in or when they I were going to introduce something. I was okay something. with most of that, though. Yeah. Most of that I was absolutely fine with. Yeah, well, it a certain degree of predictability doesn't hurt it for me. Yeah, it, didn't, it didn't hurt the tracks, but it didn't help them. 
That that was the big thing. It, it they were they tried something great with Erase Me. That was a very very distinct track, but it it, it didn't help the other tracks to have the the expectations met. I just want to put it out there that Ben Folds is very fun music. Yes. You're gonna have yeah. fun listening to this, so you know I, I don't think they're really trying to throw you for a loop every five seconds. I, I feel like the next two tracks after On Being Frank really showed that. I mean, for me. And I say the next two tracks because, honestly, at first, track six was my favorite. But now I really think that track six and seven together make my favorite track because they just work so well together. Um, Draw Crowd was the sixth song. It was the song after On Being Frank. And this was by far my favorite track. It just you know, hooked me and pulled me right in. Because, <laughs> he just loved the lyrics. Well, the no, thing about this song is when I you're listening you. to Ben Folds, I mean, he's got, you know, that kind of, you know, very proper classical kind of piano sound. And you know, I, I can't get on board with that. He has always had a certain degree of quirkiness in his work. He has? Yeah, he's always But I just, what, lyrically, I, he's, he's always very poetic. And so to say something as frank as he did in this song, poetically is what really tickled me about it, is that it was just... <laughs> snicker, 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 snicker. <laughs> Continue, Matt. <laughs> is, is, I mean, the, the, um, the, I believe the line was, if you can't draw a crowd, draw dicks on a wall. And I just... I, I love that lyric. No, I just do. Draw a crowd had an incredibly great intro. It was one of those incredibly great things. It had nice, deep, jarring bass and... and uh, uh, drum work complementing the piano, and it was. Uh, if you hear the lyrics, if you listen to the lyrics, it was satirically mean in the best possible way. Yeah, it was all about using art to shock and not necessarily to create. Yeah, that's the irony there because yeah. the song shocked us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. they were. They were. It's, if you don't got talent, do go big. Yeah, yeah. go big or go home. That's, that's that's a great message, and I'm not gonna put it down really that much, but I, I would say that this song, on the musical side of things, was perhaps one of the most formulaic songs in the album, in terms of a classic pop structure. Yeah, I definitely saw that. I definitely yep. saw that. But they did a lot with the framework they were working in. Yeah, fair enough. It wasn't It wasn't telegraphed. Telecasted. How many times do we have to go through this? <laughs> it wasn't, you know, a teleported setup. Telecasted, teleprompted is fair enough. Um, it wasn't, you know, boring. It was a setup that you were being able to follow, but it was done in, in a very artistic way. It was done in a very beautiful way. They did a good job. Yeah, but this it, it was seems, one that was... It seems very separate from the album as a whole, because I know you said something about they're not being a central theme of this album, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yes. But if I were to say that there's a bit of a hole, it's strangely enough this song, because it's such an individual message compared to everything else that's going on. But then, I, there's, there's, no, there's no relation to this but song. But I, I think that's why I like this song so much, is because it stood out like a sore thumb. And then the message was pushing I, that. It certainly does. Because and, and, the, the song is saying, you know, go big or go home, stand out, however you can. It would, it would can. almost make a good single in that way, though. Oh, yeah. And that's not putting down the actual single from but, this album. Right, which is the follow-up track. Yeah, Do It Anyway was a single that we've heard before. It was... Uh, full of fraggles. <laughs> no, the song itself <laughs> wasn't full of fraggles. The song itself was a saloon-style piano work. It had that oh. upbeat, fun noise to it. I felt it was kind of reckless. Yes. And uh, carefree. Yeah. Oh, but in such the best way. Yeah. And it was, it had probably, if it wasn't for Draw a Crowd, it would have had the best lyrics. Yeah. The most fun lyrics mm -hmm. of and the I, album. And for a single, this had the most jam session feel to it. Yeah. 
I wouldn't say that for the album as a whole, but this one in particular really stood out. You know, that's the loony kind of thing. It, yeah. it can, it's it's jam session-y in an old-fashioned kind of way. Yeah, sort of like Erase Me was. Yeah. I'm glad he's bringing that back, though. Yeah. That's a lost art to some degree. But it, here's the other thing. Draw a crowd and do it anyway. Work together. And they had a very similar message between the two. Sort of put yourself out there, do something. Which is a great message. It's sort of, don't be afraid. And I loved Didn't Do It Anyway that it was just this kind of carefree, you know, things don't work out, it's sad, do it anyway. You know, your, li- your life's going to fall apart because you do this one thing, eh, do it anyway. You know, it was kind of this carefree, you know, just go for it. Very much. And if, if anyone out there is a sucker for crazy piano work like I am, then please check out the song. You're going to love it. Yes, especially since the video, like I said, was full of fraggles, which is, as Steve said, is almost a cheat. Because yeah. you have, the, if you put the Muppets or any branch of the Muppets in anything, it's, I mean, it almost always works. It almost always It does, pulls but the thing in. is, the song stands alone oh, even absolutely. without them. It, it's, it's just perfect. Yeah. That, that was just a nice little icing on the cake. Yeah. And then it went into Hold That Thought, which I found to be a great storytelling track. This was, this was a, a, a ballad style track. This was yeah. very much, you know. Slow it down, mellow out. And that was a problem. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that song Rose by Jeff Smith. I don't know that one. Um, it was, oh, yes. It's yeah. a, the tribute to Rose from Doctor Rose, Who. Rose, you're fantastic, you know. I, I was thinking every rose has its thorn. That's poison. <laughs> yeah. I know, but when I hear Rose, you know, lyrics. Mm, poison in more than one wow. sense. No, <laughs> I think very shallowly th- musically. <laughs> I mean, lyrically. That, hold That Thought brought us down from Draw Crowd and Do It Anyway, but it lost me because of that. It was a low point in the album. Well, I, I, I kind of lost the flow right there. It was a little jarring. I think it was about trying to readjust. I think jarring is the most horrible word for this. No, it, 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 it settled us down. It brought us down from the high that we were on. It, it didn't, readjusted it, us. Yeah, all right. It I, didn't I do that for me, that. though. It felt, it felt jarring for me. It, it, in and of itself, it was a great song. It was a, a nice storytelling song. But following up two very solid tracks that were definitely faster... Uh, it, it hurt because I was already in a different theme that it, it didn't adjust itself enough for me. I don't know. After two, three fast songs, I'm ready to take it down a notch, personally. Well, I mean, I think this comes down to more personal tastes. John was looking for something else after this, whereas I'm on I'm on the Steve bandwagon as far as um, it slowing us I, down. I'm, I'm us one out. person. Yeah. I'm not really a bandwagon. You could be. But now it's a bandwagon. If you join me, we're a very Do you have a wagon? small two-person wagon. I I'm going to paint that wagon. You have a wagon and you have a keyboard, which makes you a band, so you have a bandwagon. His logic is irrefutable. Yeah. No, irrefutable logic. Yeah. Irrefutable. <laughs> Hold that thought also showcased, because we're going to go back to the thing. Hold this, <laughs> that thought showcased that uh, most of these songs, not all, but most of these songs were very much a storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ballads. Uh, they were very much the ballads. And it was great, because... With ballads, more than I think any other type of music, you can get a lot of poetic license in your lyrics. Yes. And that's something I love. I, I, I more prefer I, ballads than the standard love song because it's just, yeah, standard love songs, they're gonna end up repeating themselves after a while. And you could almost say that 
in the fact that they all were very storytelling, that was the overarching theme of this record. While it was very compilation heavy in the construction, the I overarching agree with theme hundred percent. The overarching theme is that he's a storyteller. Because I've been trying to put and my this finger is a storytelling okay. album. I can, I can see that. And I mean, that's I what did, brings it together. I did call it a collection of short stories in a way. And I think that's what the theme was. <laughs> An album of vignettes. <laughs> it's an anthology. Well, you know what? Being an album of short stories is the same thing as saying this is an album of singles. It, almost. I mean, if if you're if they're each no, are no no no, 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 Let me let me go through this. If it's a group of short stories, then it's not a story. It is a compilation. It is not you know one unified thing. Yeah, it not- may all be short stories about a specific person, or about a specific area, or about a. Specific to thing. you from a literary standpoint, a series of short stories or a collection of short stories can have a relation. And be it a can work. correlate and still be a work that goes together, I but agree. not even a if collection not that's, of that's true. That's true. Stories. I don't hear that comp- uh, comp- uh, compilation. Comp- compilation effect with this. I don't hear one group of short stories. I hear a group of short stories. The, the stories themselves are telling different things. They're not relating 100% to one another. They can't... Sorry, I... Why should they relate 100%? You, you want a concept album out of this. Yes and no. Uh, I'll, I'll, okay. It's... The songs don't flow 100% into one another. Which, if you're going to do a concept mm. album, that's what you're looking for. But the songs also... They're, they're well, so very... far, you have only cited this one moment. Do it anyway and to hold that thought. I, I did, if even if I was to accept that, I don't see it anywhere else. I saw very, very smooth transitions. No, uh, okay, not the transitions. The transitions were great, uh, with the exception of Hold That Thought. Uh, the transitions going one song to the next to the next musically was good, but thematically wasn't there for me. I don't feel like the songs followed each other as well as they could have. Uh, Mary and I both said this earlier. Yeah. It's like you could put these songs on shuffle and still get the same effect. That I just blatantly disagree with. Well, because for me, well, I can pick up a book of short stories and read the stories out of order. But I, I, I'm on Steve's side in the fact, though, that... And again, I think this is just going to come to personal preference and further showcasing that people listen to things differently. I don't... Uh, drawing a crowd and do it anyway are one song to me almost. Like, yeah. they, they're together. If they were separated and put anywhere else, I, I don't think it would work. And just then, like I, don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I think the final, that the track. final track could only have been the final track. Thank that th- would have been such a... Nothing could have followed that. Absolutely nothing yeah. else. And same for Erase Me as an intro. I don't it think it could a, have been anywhere else. It's such an alluring else. intro. Oh, There's nothing else here as alluring as that. Let's look at those last two tracks, Away When You Were Here. Uh, was beautiful, decisive song. It was it, a retrospective song. That's about the yes. only place I, I, I would consider uh, agreeing with you in in its in a displacement. That song per, could perhaps have been uh, relocated, or I said maybe the strings or something could have yeah. been included the, in "Hold oh, That Thought" or something like. Yeah, that. violins. The violin strings could definitely have been in the previous track, but here it's I think like the only thing. I was hoping this song was setting up the final track. It did an adequate job. It, did. it what didn't do a perfect job. Didn't do a great job. It did an adequate job. It did set up the final track. It wasn't the last few songs in this album. Track eight, track nine were just a little bit. After so much greatness, they were just good. By comparison, eight and nine. Yes. Okay. And ten was a very unique song. 
it was a mostly pure piano track. And I say mostly pure piano track, as awkward as that sounds, because I wrote down in my notes pure piano track, and then later on in the song, the drums, drums kick in, but only as an exclamation they were, point. They were complimentary. The name, of the, the name of the track is Thank You for Breaking My Heart. Which, I mean, is one of those... This, this is a song that you feel. You, you yeah, can't this not was feel emotive, this track. It was a evocative song, if I've ever heard one. Like, you can tell that this person is coping, but he's fighting it tooth and nail. He doesn't want to cope, but he's putting on a mask, he's kind of moving forward, and those drum beat punctuation marks were like the the inner feelings breaking through. Yeah, I wrote down, the piano was a brave front of him having to deal with something in his life, and the drums were anger, were, were just pure anger, breaking through, cracking that voice. I also thought it was very impressionistic. I think it, it, it brought a lot of vague visions to mind. I don't know, just that's how I interpreted it. But that, that's to be expected with a lot of piano work that takes that approach. Yeah, something in the chord progression. It takes you on this kind of emotional journey where you're it, you're relating this feeling from you getting from the song to personal memories or memories from a, or something from a movie that you remember, you know, that's very, very simple. Very creative though for um for piano solo track. And a lot of those can be, you know, which you kind of, of expected to be dry. somewhere on the album uh, for Ben Folds, but f- for for the Ben Folds 5 album to have the final track being this Heartbreaking piano track was. Well, I also fair, didn't expect it to be this quality. It's hearts broken. Heart, yeah, yeah. It's the after. It's the after. Yeah. You're right. But he, he the way well, he's it's lamenting. The hangover, on it. so to speak. It's got reflection written all over in it. It's got. Uh, I don't know. It's got everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm such a sucker for these kind of tracks. I, it, it really, it it definitely exceeded my expectations. Oh, for sure. Well, this whole album as a whole exceeded my expectations, and I expected yeah. a lot from Ben Folds Five because he's he's funny and charismatic, and he's always done great work. But this was just—I mean, I was I was blown away. Yeah. Track after track, I was just blown away, and I don't like I said, I I can understand where John and Mary are coming from as far as it being a compilation that can be mixed. But I'm more on board with Steve. I feel like one, six, and seven, and ten couldn't be anywhere on the album but where they were. Some of the other tracks, maybe like like uh, Michael pra- pra- Prater and and uh, Hold That Thought, or or uh, Away When You Were Here, like those songs, yeah, I feel like could have been shifted I, I around a little. I can accept that. I can accept that as far as an album. Again, I I it should be very obvious when something is either a typical album or a concept album, and yeah. I know that this is not trying to be a concept album, so I'm okay with that little yeah. bit of shuffling. But I mean, to be fair, I mean it. I like I said, hearkening back to like the personal taste things. I think that certain people just look for some that extra thing in an album, whether it's that concept or something else. And if it's not there, it detracts from them personally because they just they wanted it there and it's not. And yeah, I think that detracts. That's that's pure personal taste. You can't. Yeah. Uh... But it's also almost impossible to keep your personal influences and tastes from affecting a review at all. You know, you can pull them back, dial them back, you know, do your own thing, but your influences and tastes are going to affect your reviews at least a little bit somewhere. So, you know, I... Well, okay. I have to say that I did, I, I, I will say, I did divorce my taste from this album. Because, honestly, I love this album. It was great. It offered me something new around every corner. It wasn't with the five-star paradigm shift I was looking for. But it was darn close. 
also not something I'm going to really be listening to too much. It's really not well, my, my general taste. Okay, I, I can't argue that for sure. But I do want to argue that paradigm shift just a little bit. Maybe it's not how you see a paradigm shift to occur. In other words, you, you made a comment to me before that, that you don't see any other band particularly following up on this. And that's what I think a five-star is. A five-star is something where people go after it and they want to be But why it. shouldn't they in this instance? Um, I'm finding it was a little bit too uh, formulaic on some of the tracks. It, it, it lacked, for me, it lacked that solid theme that tied the whole album together. Formulaic in as much as uh, what you'd expect from piano rock? Uh, no, I, I, I heard things that I hear in other themes of music as well. The, the the progression of chorus melody chorus melody breakdown chorus melody. Okay, see, I only, all right, yeah. The, it it I'll, was I'll, getting, you know, predictable in points, but it was predictable with, you know, still great piano work, still great drums. Within still great... that within that constraint, I have to uh, really admire what he's doing because again, verse chorus is not anything that's going to die anytime soon, and I don't think it should. I think you can do a lot with that formula, and I think he's stretching it well beyond uh, the standard formulaic pattern. He, he takes it, in, first of all, his verses, very long. Very long, drawn out. They're not exactly something uh, that just kind of sticks in your head 100%. You really need to immerse yourself in it. Well, that goes back to the storytelling aspect. It's not, you know, lines you can keep repeating. Yeah, exactly. It this is, is not... an actual exposition of someone's life. Yeah, this is not poetry. You can't just take two lines and be like, oh, I love those two lines. It's, well, it's not... It's it not as a whole. Yeah, it's not That's a rhyming of... poetry. This is more of an impressionistic style poetry. I, I like stuff that takes a little bit of patience personally and that's that's evident here and that's great and that's actually something that's to be admired but with the fact that i feel like i could jumble up these tracks and not have to listen into them in the same order which is really a shame uh these could have been in order perfectly but they weren't quite for me i mean i could i could throw this on on uh shuffle there was just so many solid tracks they were all great i but I, I don't feel like they need to go in this order. I don't feel like that. I feel yeah. like this is a composition, great songs, they I, all created great me, songs. I me and but... Matt have very much so made our case for the reasons why it can't be put on shuffle. I mean, of course it can. You can do whatever you want with it. It's your album. You no, but it, like Draw a Crowd, Do It Anyway, I think we're too close. I don't think they should have been next to each other. I, I'm they just saying there's a plan here. I'm sure there's a plan, uh, story-wise. I, I, you and, you yourself use the word exposition. How can you use the word exposition if you don't but think it's, there's it's a, a I don't think there's a story throughout the album. I feel like there's a story in each song. Going back to what Mary said, this is a series of short stories. This isn't a story. This isn't a... It's, but I still it's think, like it's, the right. best works I'm looking of this, X. I'm looking yeah, at this in more of a vague normal. musical sense. Maybe you're looking for the actual content within the lyrics and whatnot, and because I know you Which go in that direction. Which makes sense because we're very lyrical. Yeah. yeah. And Musically speaking, though, I think there's a lot of crossover here. I think that in terms of the chord progressions, there. thank you for breaking my heart. It's such a period at the end of the sentence. For him. Well, the only two tracks I actually would keep were Erase Me and Thank You for Breaking My Heart. Number one and number ten. Begin, no, but even the beginning so, and draw, ending, draw the book crowd, ends are great. Draw a crowd and, and do it anyway are a perfect climax. Yeah. I would, uh, That's I'd beginning, them. needle, and end. I'd actually put the do only, it anyway The only the ones beginning. that me and Matt have made a case for and made exceptions for is the... Uh, right after the beginning and right before the end. Yeah. Those can be shuffled and that's okay because that's the place to do it. No, I mean... A lot of albums do that and still be spectacularly successful. To My, reel this back a little bit, I think, because you guys are kind of going back and forth repeating the same points. Yes. We get, we get <laughs> it. 
Me, me and Steve are on one kind of side of it, and, and Mary and John are on the other. And again, I think this really just harkens back to how you hear things. And where, like for me, draw a crowd and do it anyway can't be separated. I couldn't, uh, as much as I love do it anyway, if I put it on a mix CD without draw a crowd, I would just feel like something's missing. Yeah, I just argue that there's a plan and I see it. Right. I get where the artist is coming from, and that's. And, and while. Well, to taste, so yeah. be it. But, but I think for me, this album, I mean, first of all, so, as someone who has been a fan of Ben Fold since, since the early works, this is just, this is definitely not even necessarily coming of age, but he, his sound matured and changed enough that you can tell he made that next step. After going, Ben Fold's five as a band, after going 12 years without an album. I think his solo work is perhaps what added that little extra introspective quality. I agree. Which is what made this so unique. So when, once you collaborate, I, I think it takes a lot of maturity to go back and collaborate because you need to have that kind of organization. It, like I said with the Matchbox 20 album, I think that's what led to their dropping some, some R&B and some pop roots in their music was because Rob Thomas had a very solo, a very yeah. successful solo pop career where he did a lot of pop songs on his records as well as some Matchbox 20 sounding songs. And I think that really made that album stand out because he came, he came back with after working with Santana and some other artists and doing the solo stuff. He brought all that stuff back to the band. Yeah, and uh, that's definitely evident here with Ben Folds. I, I think this is the closest you're going to get to a Ben Folds symphony. To yes, be honest. I, I definitely agree. Is that organized, in my opinion? So um, I think I'll start off um, I'm wrapping this up. I mean, for me, this album totally took me on an emotional journey, hands down. Like. I can't even always and quite. <laughs> I can't quite explain even all the emotions I felt, but they're there. It's it, it was subtle, but it's a, I I like subtle. There there's not a song on this album that I didn't for. like, that I couldn't relate to, that I couldn't emote with. I never felt bored. I never felt even even in points where I agreed that some of the songs weren't as good as other songs on the album. It still didn't lose me enough that I thought the songs weren't good at all. That didn't happen at all with this album. This is something that I would listen straight through from beginning to end, and I'd feel incomplete without finishing the album. It's one of those song- albums that I have to listen to in the car straight through. Um, you know, I'd be doing the- honestly, I'd be doing this album a disservice if I didn't give it a five on my rating scale because for me, every song I felt, I I connected with the whole album, the stories, you know, the lyrics drew me in. The, the music drew me in, you know, the entire time listening to this album, I was not sitting in my computer chair in front of my computer. I was on a journey with these songs. And there were highs and lows, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, okay, mine. <laughs> this was, and while I said, well, I did say before, this really is in my musical taste. Uh, I'm not heavy into this piano work, but there is a, a variety of of uh, pieces in here I did thoroughly enjoy. While this isn't the sort of music I, I routinely listen to, this is the sort of music that that should be made. This was a great album. It had all sorts of different things involved with it. It kept inventing new things. It kept creating uh, uh, new systems of making music. It, it was it was everything I really look for in. A four star, and then it brought it to the next level. It had uh, satire, it had poetry, it had composition. This is a 4.5. It didn't quite rock my world and cause me to rethink music, which is what a five star, in my opinion, should do. 
but it did give me something new every single time uh, with every single song. It did lose a little bit because, yeah, I felt like it could shuffle off and you wouldn't really lose too much of the sound. And for that, that, that hurts as an album. But that gives it strength as songs themselves. Each song you can listen to and rate on its own merits. So 4.5. Okay, I actually understand a little bit of that. It's funny how to hear your summation actually makes a lot more sense when then, uh, yeah, my, your individual points. My explanations and summations are two very different things. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on that because, uh, yeah, I am starting to understand what you mean by paradigm shift now. Because I suppose this is more of... I guess it did not rock my world, 100%. <laughs> Although the final song, man, definitely did. Uh, you were crying, weren't you? I was pretty close. Okay. Pretty close. It was up there. Acceptable. Um, but yeah, piano rock, is, it's just such a guilty pleasure, you know? And I hate to... Normally I don't go for 100% tastes, but this is definitely something that is unique in its time. Because there's not too many people doing this kind of stuff right now. Ben Folds has his unique take on piano rock that I think is to be uh, followed up upon. If perhaps it doesn't get you emotionally 100%, that's okay. But musically, there's a lot of stuff to be learned here. I think he has his own brand of piano work, uh, his own brand of his only way of taking the piano and making it a very, very unique instrument, making it a lead instrument. That's backed by the bass. You don't really need a guitar. A lot of people need guitar, not with Ben Folds. I just I love what he's done here. He's taken a little bit from every single era. I gotta say, I gotta say four point five. No, four point seven. <laughs> four point seven. Seriously, this is this is just shy of being one of the top things that I've said so far. Okay. I actually give it a 4.5 because I really enjoyed the album. There were a few things that I kind of zone out during, and if I am zoning out while listening to it, then it's not a 5 for me. Uh, but a lot of them I wrote down that I would put them on my writing playlist. I would look to them when I need inspiration, when I need a jump in my step, build up my confidence level. So I thought lyrically they were amazing, they were great stories, and I do love piano. So it was a 4.5 for me. It was a very good album. I would definitely listen to it again. Hmm. Cheers. All right. So that definitely, I mean. Listen. Yeah, buy. Yeah, definitely buy and listen to this album. It's, Support these guys. They're finally back. Yeah, it's definitely worth yeah. it. I'm actually excited that um, as of this recording, um, a week from now, or less than a week, as Mary yells from the other room, a week from now is Comic-Con, and they're actually playing New York Comic-Con, and it's free for the four-day pass holders. Yes, so, so I get to be incredibly jealous of you two. But I'm definitely going to go to the show, and hopefully, maybe I'll, I'll be able to get a word with him, because I'd love to talk to him about this record, because it's just one of those things, you know, there, there are records that come along that you like listening to, and then there are records that come along that you live, and I lived this record, hands down. Lived, um, lived, loved, lived. Did you lube it? Did I lube it? I don't know. If we meet Ben Foles, I am giving him the biggest hug and telling him how adorable I think he is. That's fair. Because uh, it's true. Um, but um, He is pretty adorable. He is. <laughs> going forward from this, um, there's, a, there's something I've been wanting to talk to for a few weeks now. Just It's been kind of rattling around in my head. Um, I, I, I always look f fondly back on bands that I've listened to growing up and you know, sometimes I stop listening to them, and I can never really pinpoint why. And I kind of have this realization with um, with you two. Um, of course, I, unless you're living under a rock, you know who you two and Bono are. 
And I didn't for a while. Because <laughs> Mary lived under a rock. Yep. I, I wish I didn't. But, um, but yeah, uh, so U2 is one of those bands that I really like their older stuff. But lately Bono's been on this improve the world kick, which, I mean, he's done some good, and that's great. I'm sure he's done a lot of good. Yeah, no, he's done a lot of good, but he's, it for me, like, he's done it in such a way that was kind of... He just makes himself feel so, look so self-important sometimes. But beyond that, it's just, it's become more about him being Bono and less about him being in U2 and writing great music. And I want to talk today about how, for better or for worse, some some musicians become celebrities and it detracts from their work for me personally. And I think there are a lot of people who have artists that they feel that's happened with. Like, and U2 is one of those for me. Whereas on the opposite side, regardless, may he rest in peace, Michael Jackson, regardless of all the strange things that he did and said in his late career, I still think he's one of the greatest pop stars to ever live. Still, yeah. And I still love his, and I still love his music to this day. You know, with the exception of his last album or so, all of his stuff I love and listen to. He's a a rare case because I, I I do tend to judge pop music fairly harshly, I guess, in terms of its construction. But he was such an amazing singer and a very unique singer. No one sings exactly like Michael Jackson. What he brought to the table was was unheard of at, at its time. And he brought a little bit from every genre, too, in his early work, uh, directly following up upon Motown, and then he, you know, went a little bit into the, uh, he brought a little bit of rock in there, a little bit of everything. I just, that's what I would love to see from pop music in general. When on consecutive albums, you can have Paul McCartney on, and then Eddie Van Halen, you're, you're a pop star. Yeah. You're, you're up there. And, but, but the thing for me is a lot of people gave up on him. After he became this kind of sideshow in the media, a lot of people said, eh, he, he stinks, you know, who needs him? Whereas I still loved his music. His personal life didn't affect me because the music is music. But but then again, to the other side, Bono's personal life and choices have affected what I listen to. Bono is a very specific... U2 is a very specific example for me. I Growing up, I did like a couple of their songs. Honestly, I, I could say nowadays, because of the persona and the perceived arrogance of the band and Bono in particular... I, I can't listen to their music. It's actually become distasteful because I I really can't separate the the musician from the music in this case. Uh, another example is actually, for me, R.E.M. Growing up, I really didn't know R.E.M.'s other side besides their music. And it wasn't until I, I, I started to become more self-aware in politics that I started understanding the message that they did outside of their actual music. And it, it, it hurt them for me. It hurt the way I listened to them. Which is a shame because I still love their music. For me, they're still one of my, my maybe not top five, but top 20 bands. They do great, great stuff. I want to hear all the time. But it, it hurts because it, they just did things in their public life that, that just turned me off from listening to them as a band. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough thing to... Uh... Because some people would also say that you know Bono has has the influence to make to do good in the world, therefore why shouldn't he with the power and prestige that he acquired? Um, I but mean, it'd be one but, thing if he was doing bad things. Oh yeah. Uh, another person who's done good in this world, Paul McCartney, and Paul McCartney's got more influence, more so than an more influence, ironically, than Lennon, and yet Paul McCartney is so much more uh, has more humility 
And he's human. I, that's the whole thing. He is. A, he is human. That's the nail yes. on the head. Is exactly. humility and the. Hu- that's what I like to see, and that's what I have so much. And he has his own issues. He's had his own public of issues, uh, private issues, brought to life. But nobody could really detract from him because he he's Sir Paul McCartney. He's a beloved figure around the world. Everybody knows him. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and make this statement, even though it's could bound could cause a lot of controversy. A lot of people argued way back at the time, Lennon versus McCartney, right? One or the other. And in terms of, like, musicality and that kind of thing, I, I, I'm not going to impugn uh, John Lennon's songwriting skills, but I think that proportionally speaking, when you look at the, the amount that he put his face out there at the time compared to his songwriting skills, and then you compare that directly against uh, how, how, um, Paul. how much humility Paul had... And then his songwriting skills, it's just the disparity is much more in Paul's favor. Yeah. John Lennon was hands down a public fi- figure. Beyond yeah. a songwriter, he was definitely a public figure. I mean, that's probably, that leads up to what had happened to him. I mean, he was just so influential and so larger than life, but he didn't really have that humility that Paul McCartney had. Absolutely. Well, it, it's, yeah. it's also he didn't go the full route of you too, where he really became arrogant. No. He still was himself. He was always true to himself. He did have arrogance, but it was more of a confident sort, not a, oh, listen to me, I'm always right sort that you 2 has. I guess there's levels of arrogance, yeah, but I mean, there was definitely arrogance in his solo career. You could tell some of the tracks that he put out, it's like, you know, he's putting oh, this yeah. out because he can. Exactly. Because he's John Lennon. And that, there was a sense of that, but it's definitely not for the same level. There was such level. a turn off there. Like that's one of those, um, you know, a lot of people do love his his after career. I'm personally not a fan of it. I think his best work was and always will be with the Beatles. I believe the same thing of all four of them. None yes. of them truly had a solo career that matched their original work. But Paul has done exceedingly well, all he, things considered. Yeah. He came closest, especially um, with Wings. I think with that was Wings, great. with Wings, he did an excellent job. It wasn't, you know. Beatles, but it was darn good follow up. Even the couple of albums he's pulled out in the last decade, I still have think have been stuff. pretty amazing quality considering his age, and it's just I don't know. He's got the whole package. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and I mean, I think it's all going to come down. This is another thing that's very personal and close to the heart and personal taste. I think that you know, certain bands, if they say or do something that might that might completely break your image of them and shatter your world and you can't listen to them anymore and it could have nothing to do with the quality of the music yes mary the ataris ah yes this is a this is a famous uh experience that me and mary both had with the ataris um which you can feel free to tell the lead singer of the ataris whose name escapes me at this moment because i have tried to erase my love for him I adored the Ataris. I loved them so much. My favorite album contained the song uh, San Dimas High School Football Rules. And my ex-boyfriend had asked me to do some photography for his band. And we were friends at the time, so it was fine. So I go, and I go to do the photography, and I find out that lead singer, songwriter of Ataris is going to be there. And I go up to him and I tell him how brilliant I think he is and how he's playing my favorite album. And I'm so excited. (laughs) And he just thanks me and, you know, goes off his own way. Then he disappears. It turns out that he threw a fit, broke someone's cell phone, and left. That's not very, uh... 
showmanshipy. He was a jerk. <laughs> and then later we went to Warp Tour. Yeah, when we went to Warp Tour and we found out, oh, they're going to be there. And, and Mary was like, all right, well, you know, I'll, I, I want to go see them because I, I do love them. give him a chance. You know, people say this and, about a lot of, not just, you know, musicians, but other celebrities. Everyone tells me that right. uh, Steve Martin is a jerk. Not, yeah, not, but, no but for different reasons. The, the but for considered. different reasons. And I'll go back to that, actually. Yeah. Steve Martin's a good point. But with the Ataris, when we were at Warp Tour... He, they have this song where they would, you know, they specific, they mention a specific location in the song. Chris Rowe. Uh, Chris Rowe is the lead, lead singer's name. And at Warp Tour, he he came out first. He was very sloppily dressed. He looked terrible. He wasn't. His heart wasn't in it. He was very. Oh yeah, I'm here. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah. They changed the lyric of the song to New Jersey, just. To get New Jersey in, and I mean, bands do that, but it was clearly he was doing that like, yeah, love me, yeah, I'm mentioning your name. He was so, so full of himself, even though he looked terrible, the songs didn't sound good, they weren't playing well. People and were amoshing to my favorite song, which is a love song, which is an amoshing <laughs> song. And it was just okay, one that's, of the... That's, uh, that's audience's fault. But, I know, but, but, but no, but he on stage help. was just, you get, got, we got pulled so far out of his music because when we saw them on stage, it was clear that this guy just didn't give a damn anymore. He was just there because he could, and he was cashing in. I would only say one point, although not that there's really any excuse for that. I think every every uh, every performer should have the good sense to be professional while you're on stage oh, in, in almost every song. single instance. Instance, but that said, they do this all the time, all the time. I, I would forgive one off day here and there. But the, but I heard performances all over the country are just like that. It wasn't one day. Okay, that's that, fair enough. That was how he was on fair the enough. tour. Yeah, I hear and this. For like, me, some people uh, thought that. Jason Mraz went through that phase. Then again, other people, when they've seen Jason Mraz, absolutely loved it. That, that's a case of, but that's, you know, that's a different case. mild I, mood shifts. And that's another thing about celebrity that I wanted to get to. Billy Joel, Billy Joel is one of my favorite artists of all time. I really love him. But he said something in an interview that really put me off. Is He said in one of his later, more recent concerts that he played maybe within the last five years, he said he was going to play all his, you know, unreleased stuff or his, you know, not singles because... He's tired of playing his singles, and he wants to play other songs. That's it. He said, I don't really care what the fans want. I want to play these songs. There was something along those lines. I might be turning a little bit. But essentially, well, it was it was essentially... Let me just finish my thought. Okay. He was saying, you know, essentially, that he wants to do for himself. He wants to play for himself. Something along those lines. And I don't agree with that. I mean, I agree to a point. If you want to, if you want to change it up because you want to do yourself a service too, that's fine. But your fans, I mean, your fans made you who you are. To, to completely cut stuff out at their protest, I mean, there's got to be kind of some kind of compromise between you and your fans. You can't just do just for you because you're not playing for yourself. You're playing I, for your fans. I'm very mixed with this. It doesn't perturb me as much as it perturbs you, uh, mainly because the work is out there. He has made recordings. That is the greatest thing about the recording generation is that he can move on to new things if he wants to. But that's not what he Who, said. What were we to say? But that's not what he said. He said he wants to do what he wants, regardless, regardless of what of the his fans, fans want. And People, that, well, and I every think artist cool. should should do you know stick by their guns and they should do work from for the heart. both though. It should be a compromise. That's what being in that position. I mean, Rob Zombie said in an interview that I really loved is that he said, "I don't care how much I hate." Uh, more Human Than Human, one of the first songs he ever wrote for White Zombie. He said, I could hate that song to the day I die. My fans deserve to hear it because they love it. I'm going to play it. And that's it. Because I'm playing for them. Without them, I'd have nothing. You don't always know, though. Not, I mean, not every artist knows exactly what the what I know, fans but, want. but this was a famous... Some people, some pe like, this, 
actually defines um, sort of what we tend to argue about, like in every week. Some people want new things out of an artist. So that's that's what they crave. They they get tired of their old stuff, and then some people are like, no, no, you had a good thing here, just keep it going. But I'm speaking to a specific case. I'm not saying that this is something where there was a a, a back not a backlash, I'd say, but there was a reaction to this to Billy Joel doing this. Okay, but that that first of all. Billy Joel could just be going through a phase. Did he say forever? Well, he actually hasn't performed since, and he hasn't written any music since. He's only written a few classical pieces. He's not done anything in the way of rock or pop music since but that time. You know what? I could definitely see, especially someone like Billy, getting tired yeah. of doing the same stuff over and over again. I have that sympathy for an artist. All right? It's, it's like... Yeah, but you, you can't keep making, you can't keep doing that same thing. You actually would suffer as a musician if you have to keep playing the same songs. I agree. You're not going to get any better. You're not going to try anything new if all How your you friends, all your fans want to hear. That's not what I'm saying. No, but if all your fans want to hear is your old stuff, they don't care about your new but stuff. But that's not what I'm that saying. That hurts. That, but that's not what I'm saying. That's, that's not what he said. He specifically said that he didn't want to play the singles anymore, any of them. Well, I could definitely see that all his fans just want the old stuff. No, but it's not just the old stuff. He's had, had at that time, it had singles that came out just a few years before. As an artist, though, it makes you feel like a one-trick pony, kind of. Mm. Yeah, but if you're paying a lot of money to see a performer and they're not playing, like, it, they should definitely play their new work. But there should also be a little callback. There should also be a little nostalgia. Like, this is why you fell in love with me to begin with. Okay, yes. Well, so there should be a true compromise. Considering but, we're on Billy Joel right here, I did go see Elton John in concert recently at Saratoga. He um, he, he had that fair compromise of, of new and old work. Yeah. So, all right, I, I do understand that. But it's okay to go through a little bit of a phase, though. And I just don't think... I, I agree, but I would have disagreed more, more like, so if he said forever. But this sounded like he was denouncing... The way I remember the interview... I'll have to look it up now. But it sounded like he was denouncing his old work. That was my problem. My, actually, you know what? That's kind of up front. He's actually saying, you know what? I'm, you come to my concert, you're not going to get the same old, same old. I'm going to give you something different. He's actually up front saying, I agree you're that. not going to get that that's, compromise. That's respect. You're only going to show up if you want new stuff. So they have, they're, they have, like they have the fair warning. Yeah, he's not, being, he's not tricking his fans into it. He's actually no, explaining to I, them. I, I yeah, but a that. lot of his fans are the kind of people who wouldn't be... Paying attention to where was this interview? I don't even remember now. I'll have to go back and look. Is like I said, it, for for me, it was, I'm sure it is. For me, it was more how he said it, not what he said. I think it, it brings me back to the whole, and this is kind of outside the frame of music. When um, Anne Rice became a born again Christian and denounced all of her vampire books, I was offended as a fan because you're saying that all that work was garbage because you're born again Christian, and then of course she's back to it now and she's promoting it again and has a new book coming out based uh, in the universe or something. I don't think so. She's working on Angel Time still. The Angel Time universe as far is as she? I know. But no, but she said something well, about like she doesn't denounce it. Like she's come back to it. Comparing her earlier work to her mid-level work when she was going through. I was being offended by her work <laughs> anyway. I know. But I'm just <laughs> so, saying. I don't, I don't have really. Her, her decrying it was actually a good thing. We agreed. I hated Angel Time. <laughs> it's so sad. It's just for me. I just don't like. I don't like when an artist denounces his own work. I, f I feel like it's a slap in the face. I mean, the guitar, I think it was the guitarist of the bassist from Korn Head, did the same thing. He became a born again Christian, denounced, said that Korn's music was the devil's work, and wrote a book speaking out against it. Which actually increased Korn's popularity. So yes. that was the best thing he possibly could have done but for it, the band. But that's, it's just, that's just the irony of, of 
no, fandom in general. Here's the here's the whole thing. If you're if you really do feel your older work is poor, you know what? Re-record it. Make it better. Don't just be all you know. It was bad to begin with, and now I really think that we're not doing better. But no, no. If if your old work was was poor, be like, all right. I'm I'm sorry, fans. Here's our new stuff. We tried to improve. Say something like that. Don't be like, oh no, I don't I don't want to do that anymore. That's just bad. Listen to our new song. And and a couple like Corn, they he did it. He he actually said that. Yeah. And that's not classy. That's just poor. I just it, I think you can be playful if you want to acknowledge how immature your earlier work was by comparison, if you feel like you've matured. I think an artist has that right to you know, self-assess in a certain way. Yeah, I think that's different, though, from this. For me, it's a lot of... But yeah, we're talking fan service here. I think this might be a good time to bring in a segue into the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Um, A band that had no problem offending anybody. Yeah, fans alike. Johnny Rotten is still, I think, one of... There are some people that respect the Sex Pistols for taking that position. Of course. Uh, I think that's the extreme that you started discussing to that, you know, complete end of it. First... Explain. Well, I, I, the thing is, is I like a band who has humility and respect for their fans. And there are some bands that don't. In fact, a very famous singer that me and John both know and love, early in his career, said terrible things about his fans. Rivers Cuomo of Weezer went on record saying he hates his fans for something. I don't remember what it was. And then much later on, actually came out and said, I apologize. I was wrong. You know, my, uh, we wouldn't be where we were without our fans. And had humility and his fans accepted it. If I'm not Just mistaken, he said, he, said, he said that right before Make Believe and Maladrop, which yeah. was kind of the low point in, <laughs> in the thing. career. So it was, it was funny, too. He, 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 but, you he know, insulted fans but, himself. And, but he took a step back and realized that he made a mistake. Yeah, and I can respect that. It's very respectable. And it's actually saying, you know what, we were wrong. And very few people will do that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean... Just, just to backtrack, didn't um, didn't the Sex Pistols not show up at their own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induct- induction? I believe so, yeah. yeah. The, the surviving <laughs> members did not show up. What's the opinion on that? Is that? I mean, you know what? There are bands who don't show they up. They think they're making statements. But I think... But I, yeah, I think to all the people who showed up there... Not that I put too thing. much stock into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in this Well, slightest, I but... do. I do. I do put a lot of stock in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because you know what? Well, they're always... You know, while their induction process is kind of convoluted... They get around to getting those bands in, and I mean, the Red Hot Chili Peppers recently were inducted, and they deserve it. And a lot of people felt that you know they didn't deserve to share the stage with some of the other bands, but they're they're very influential and revolutionary. I, I, I would actually throw them on stage with the Beach Boys and have no problem comparing one to the other. They're that kind of a band that I truly think you know d- deserves to but be. But they're counted. also has a very it, truly has diverse. Tw- band. Has it been twenty five years already? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That the rock. Wow. And go yeah, chili, you're go old. Chili peppers. You're, yeah. you're old. I'm old. We're all getting older. Shut up. Matt's the oldest. <laughs> Thanks. I, I always love that. But you know, I just I will always. It won't stop. It won't always stop me from listening to a band, except in some extreme cases. But I always prefer a band that hum, has humility, like Rob Zombie. You know, I've gone on record and said that his last album I thought was atrocious. I hated it. But the fact that he still will come out and go, look, I did this new stuff. You're going to hear it, and then I'll play what you want to hear. You know, I respect my fans and I love my fans. That that's what's most important to me. Like I never understood the celebrities who are like, "Oh, I'm too important. Be gone." It's one thing if it's quantity of fans. Like you know, if you are Hugh Jackman and you walk out on the Comic Con floor, it's going to be hard to to do that. You're going to have problems. It's going to be hard to smile for every fan because it's just the sheer volume. Mm-hmm. But but just the same, if you're a celebrity and and 
you can't acknowledge that there's a reason why they do that. If you think that you're too good for them, that's what I can't respect in artists and celebrity in general. There's also two things. There's the private uh, forum and there's the public forum. When you're, you know, shopping, if, if you see your favorite band shopping or your favorite actor, actress shopping, don't go up to them and be like, oh, I love you. No, they're going about their daily life. And for you to get off- for for a celebrity to get offended during that, completely acceptable. Absolutely, because you yeah. know what, you know what, they're trying to you know pick up milk. They should not be accosted when they're trying to live their lives. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you, you approach them politely, I'm sure they would not care as much. It depends on the Sir, person. Sir, I'm a fan it, of your of your work. May I have your autograph? No, yeah, I wouldn't I mean, even bother them different. that way. I think there's a more extreme case. I, the supermarket, okay, the restaurant. The restaurant is where I agree that you should leave someone alone. Oh, yeah, they're eating. If you, see, if you see if you see an quarter. actor <laughs> with his wife or whatever or with their kids and they're at a restaurant or they're at a theme park like with their kids, don't go up to them. They're enjoying private time with their family. You know, they want to relax. They don't want to, you know. Well, I understand that it's definitely a slippery slope at that point because yeah. one person goes up, who's over there? What's the commotion? And then sooner or later they have a crowd. But, yeah. but if Hugh goes out onto the Comic-Con floor... floor Dude, you're gonna get mugged. All right, it's gonna happen, and that's because you're in the setting in which. But I also don't think he's the type of person. I mean, I've actually personally met him. He doesn't seem like the type of person who's gonna walk out on that floor and turn people away. Yeah, it all depends on the attitude that you take when you approach a person. I mean, if you approach someone and you say, "I am really sorry to bother you, but I wanted to know if you maybe had a chance for me to tell you." I think you're brilliant, or this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, but we're talking about people. They're not going to do that. Right. Well, the fans who go... The fans <laughs> there who are go, some people. people who will. Like, for example, I would never bum rush so hard. That's because persons are considerate and nice and smart, and people are not. And I and I but can for, agree with... For us, for the smart ones out there, for the, uh, the tempered ones... Um, would it be wise to perhaps not uh, start the slippery slope that leads to the other ones, the bad ones? It could ones. be, but I mean, I mean funny, if you're always respectful... The and then, screens. As long as you don't <laughs> shout out, oh my god, it's famous person here! I mean... I think that yeah. if you're always respectful... I mean, if you creep up and tap yeah. them on the shoulder... If you're always respectful and kind, and they're rude to you, then you're in the right, and that's it. However, you know, if you go up and go, hey, give me your autograph! And he goes, no. And you go, oh, what the hell? Why can't I have your autograph? That's not right. That's not yeah. fair. What's that accent that you know. use? Uh, it was my imitation I, 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 I was of a, Steve it was doing an attempt an of An attempt of obnoxious Brooklyn. Right. But which I uh, clearly <laughs> don't do obnoxious well. But no, they shouldn't be because they don't sound like that. No. no it but sounds... it's just, to me, the point that I was trying to make <laughs> is that I feel like as long as you're always respectful of the person you're speaking to... They can't help but be respectful back. And if they're not, then it's on the onus is on them, not you. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's what it means to me. Actually, no. I wouldn't even mind if, if, if they brush me off because you don't know what kind of a day they're having. You Which don't know what kind of a life. But, um, but, I'm, say, say, okay, but I'm saying I'm then you have nothing you. to feel bad about. If you're respectful and they brush you off, then all right. Well, there's a reason maybe. But either way, you did the right thing by you and that's yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, you apologize for bothering them and you walk away. Yeah. There is certainly a lot you have to accept when you become a celebrity status, you did seek it in some way. Most people seek it. They work hard. They get there. They take what they take the pros and the cons. Yeah, I mean, I think that de- definitely the faster the rise to stardom, the more likely this isn't always proven, but more likely the ill-mannered of the celebrity. Just because if you're if you slowly, gradually become more famous, you know how to cope with it. You still don't feel that big. You kind of 
know how to be that. Whereas if overnight you become this huge success, like a lot of child stars and stuff like that, there's a lot of immaturity in it. You don't really know how to handle it, and it, it's harder. Uh, it's also going to be up to the individual. Some people are just jerks. Yeah. They may be... Going back to artist- Steve Martin point. That's yeah, what no, you They may me. be artistically oh, yeah, you, you need to follow up on that. So my, my Steve Martin point was... So a lot of people say within the industry, especially a lot of podcasts that I listen to are done by comedians, they say Steve Martin was one of those people that's very cold and, you know, very not... He doesn't take compliments well. He's very closed up when it comes to public forums. But when you're... He's Steve Martin. I mean, he's been doing comedy for so long and he's probably heard it all. He's probably heard every fan saying, oh, you, you know, my career wouldn't exist without you. I mean, I think as a celebrity, sometimes it's hard to just not become a cynic. And I don't think that Steve Martin in the case is rude because he's generally just doesn't care. I think he's just being cynical because he's just been at it for so long. that I he think just, it's also trickier, trickier with comedians, too, because yeah. How do in you, general, if you, have, you have to be that, that personality on stage. Not everyone can be expected to be this quirky, funny guy 24-7. Yeah. Which is funny because I would go up to Steve Martin and be like, wow, you weren't really that good, and I'm not sure why people actually <laughs> like your comedy. Oh, you, so I you're never the person that's proving our point. <laughs> no, I found him... You're that guy. That no, guy. <laughs> he should be a jerk because, you know what? He gave us bad He gave us bad comedy. He really wasn't that good. Oh come on! No. Okay, no. this is. Mixed, what was that one with the nose? Bag like anything else? Didn't he? Do, didn't he do? I don't. I don't this know. This is such a tangent. We're, yeah, we're I getting sidetracked. So anyway, it, I, think, I think. Actually, no. I, sometimes I don't think people shouldn't have that sort of attitude. They should never be jerks. I don't care who Steve Martin is. They should never be jerks like that. I'm not saying that they should. I'm saying I understand why. I don't. Just because you understand something doesn't mean you're okay with it. It just makes logical sense. This is not even 100%. I'm going off yeah. a few people who have said this. Right. He could be very civil in other... No, he could be great. Adam West is a jerk. In person. Actually, yeah. I've, yeah. That, I've heard a lot of stories about that. Yeah. But this is all hearsay. Yeah. We don't know them. My, my, know point, life. my point is is that I think, for me personally, it takes a special kind of jerk to, to turn me off completely to anything they've done and or this kind of disconnect. Because I don't think that Bono's necessarily that kind of a jerk that I... I lost interest in his music to kind of bring it around. I think it was just this huge disconnect between uh, celebrity Bono and musician Bono is so huge now because he's done so much for the world and he's worked on all these causes that I just, they're like separate people to me now and I just feel disconnected from the music. Well, I also feel like he's disconnected from people as well. Yeah. It's like, I don't think Bono would stop to spit on me if I was on fire. Unless I was in a third world country. (laughs) Like, that's what I feel about Bono. Like, he really can't be bothered with saying hello to fans or something like that. Because right. that's a persona he's built up. But we're also, this is all speculation, a lot of it too, obviously none of us I, have I met think, I think we're definitely looping ourselves here. We yeah. covered it pretty much in the beginning. We want to see a degree of humility from yeah. our... That's, that's, that's the short, the short that, end that of is, it. That is what I respect utmost. And uh, in closing, wrapping up the podcast, I do want to, of course, encourage everybody to please email us your thoughts, concerns, questions, you know arguments towards everything we've discussed today at uh, crashcordsblog at gmail.com. Feel free to comment on the website, on iTunes, give us a review. Um, every little bit you guys give us get, gets us to that next step. Um, we still, of course, have the donate button on the website. Um, our quality can only improve if you help us get to that next level. And we do this for you guys. Obviously, you know, it's this is for the fans. It's for free. So we would love to get better and move move to that next level. Cheers to that. That said... Do uh, tune in next week 
for next week's album. Yes. Muse, The Second Law. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this album as a group. This actually isn't a pick by any one of us. This is a pick by all of us. We all agree that this is something that we just have to review as a group. It's We're looking forward to it so much as a group, and I'm very excited to review it, and I really hope you guys will tune in and follow along on Spotify. So if you're a Muse fan, do buy it. If not, uh, follow on Spotify so you can join in the discussion. And we're severely hoping this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Our expectations are kind of high on this one. Yeah. Well, Muse does really <laughs> great work, so we're hoping that it'll be great. But um, as always, thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, keep your eyes on the website. We have always have new things coming. The wheels are always turning. Um, and as always, music is life, and life is good. <laughs>